Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. Well, uh, this morning, uh, we're concluding our, our series, Wrong Why. And if you haven't been with us, I want to get us all on the same page together. And in order to do that, uh, and if you're at home, I want you to play along as well. Uh, I want to transport us all back to childhood for just a minute. Whether you had a great childhood or a bad childhood is not the point. I want to transport us all back to about, let's, let's go to about the second or third grade. For some of us, that's a little further back than others of us. Uh, some of us, it's just a little ways back. But uh, however far back that is for you, I want you to think back to the second or third grade, uh, where you were, what was going on in life. And isn't it true that the question in life, the question from your parents, the question from your aunts and uncles and teachers and, and, and friends was, hey, what, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? This was the question. What, what do you want to be when you grow up? And to the point of our series, we've been looking through a framework. It started really early in our lives, the focus on what? What do we want to be? And not just what do we want to be, but we, we realized that if we didn't figure out what we wanted to be, we wouldn't know how to get there or how to accomplish this. And so from a young age, we were taught to think not only about what, what we wanted to do, what we wanted to be, where we wanted to go in life, but how to get there, how to pursue the thing that we wanted to do or what we wanted to do. Now, I have to say this, and I'm going to date myself just a little bit, but... <clears throat> In my generation, there weren't as many options as there are today. Uh, when, when I was young, when I was in the second or third grade, like some of you, um, like it was like you were a doctor or you were a lawyer or you were a nurse or a teacher or a fireman or a policeman, maybe a pilot, maybe a banker, a mommy, like those were like the normal options. And when I talk to my kids these days uh, about what they want to be when they grow up, they, they talk to me about things like they want to be a YouTuber or a social influencer or online, an online gamer. And I'm like, like those, those, are not, those are not careers. And they're like, there's people making lots of money doing those things. And it's like, so I'll, I'll get off of that soapbox today because I could, I could be on that one for a long time, but um, I'm usually on that one most of the week. So um, I, I want to take you just for a second. In my childhood, if, if, if you're anything like me, you had a dream. It was like when the answer to this question, what do you want to be when you grow up, was, was, it, was there were, behind that there was a dream. And for me, the dream was playing professional sports. I grew up playing sports and I played soccer and I wanted to be a professional soccer player and I excelled when I was young. And then I, I got into high school and I continued to excel. But then I started playing on some teams at the state level and I realized, wow, there's a, like a lot of competition out here and trying to get a scholarship and go to college. I started thinking, I might need to have a backup plan for this. And so um, actually my senior year in high school, I, I started taking classes uh, AutoCAD. I started getting into architecture stuff. I love things related to design. And, and, you know, I was still thinking I ended up going to college and playing soccer in college. Um, but it, near the end of my senior year in high school, I, I shared with you, some of you a few weeks ago, life took a hard left turn for me. 
And um, we, I lost my dad uh, to cancer. And um, it, it was, I just, it just, all that stuff went out the window, like all the desires and all that ambition. And, and I, I went, ended up going to college uh, with my brother. I wasn't originally planning to go there, but I went to school with my brother because I, I just felt like I needed to be near family. And he was wise enough to go, hey, look, we just need to be together. Come, come join me in college. And so we were in college and I was just lost. My freshman, sophomore year, my freshman year was really difficult, you know, just being away from home for the first time. It was Probably a lot like your freshman year in college. I uh, got into all sorts of trouble with all that freedom. And, and I continued on in college and a few guys started attending a church that was uh, nearby and they invited me to come to church. And I remember one of my first times coming to the church, I was walking up to the front of the building and I ran into this gregarious Italian guy named Richie Vivolo, who was amazing. He was like the, the, the self-proclaimed mayor or greeter of the church. He was kind of like Larry. Most of you know Larry, he stands out front. You guys, you guys know, yeah, you love Larry. Larry's amazing, yeah. So he deserves that, by the way. So, so he was like, like the Larry of our church. And, and, um, and so I remember him, you know, he re- remembered my name and then he was interested in us and he loved soccer too. And so he'd come out to some of our games. And, and one, one of the times uh, he took us to lunch and he could tell that me and my brother were, were, were wrestling and struggling a little bit, you know, having lost my dad and reeling from all that. And I remember um, him, him sensing that I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't too strong or too keen in my faith or wasn't, you know, sort of on the outs with God in that season of my life. And he said, he, he sort of asked me this same question, but sort of in, in, a, in a little more collegiate way, instead of what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, what are you going to do when you get out of college? And, and I didn't know. And he, he challenged me. He said, hey, why don't you begin praying this prayer? I, I know you don't have to do it, but what if God had a plan? If he had a will for your life, what if you started praying, God, show me your will for my life? And what if God showed you his will? You don't have to commit to it. You don't have to do it. But what if God had a specific personal plan for you. So I started praying this and I, I, I committed to, that I would pray, but I, I wasn't committed to, to following the answer. I started praying. And um, sometime later uh, in that season, I remember walking into a dorm room and there was a bunch of guys uh, watching a movie in there. It's a low budget film uh, from the eighties called Aspen Extreme. Anybody ever seen this movie? It's about two guys, like nobody's seen this movie. It's, it's about two guys from Detroit that leave their deadbeat jobs and lives, two single guys, and they take off and they go to Aspen to be ski instructors. And I remember that night going, I've been praying, Lord, I hear you speaking. I, I, this is your will for my life. And, and in all seriousness, I was like, I, I think this is something I want to do. And so at my junior year in college, I went to try out to be a ski instructor. And they, they were having these, these open tryouts. And, they, and, and it was sort of like the movie. I know none of you have seen the movie, but a whole bunch of people show up. And there's only a few spots. I think there was 100 and some people, like 115 people. And there was like 11 spots. And somehow I, I was able, I, through the interviews and the skiing, I, I got on the team. And, and I thought, I mean, all the doors are opening up. This has got to be God's will for my life. And I started spending weekends up at the mountain. And, and I have to tell you, it was one of the more interesting seasons and one of the more interesting places in, in that resort world on the weekend um, after work hours. It was one of the most decadent places, uh, the partying and Married and single people, everybody sleeping with everybody. Nobody really cares. It was just, it was just something I had not been exposed to before. And I felt my, myself getting sucked into this world. And, and to be honest with you, I, I, as I look back, I'm pretty sure none of that had anything to do with God's will for my life. And, and I remember talking with Richie and him, him challenging me that, that gosh, this, this, this is probably not God's will for your life. Maybe this is something you want to do, but 
But I even had a sense like this, this, this isn't, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. And my, my guess is uh, most of you, some of you feel that way. Most of my discussions with people uh, about what they want to do or finding God's will, discovering God's will for their life have to do with work. And so I want this is what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about work and career in this framework. And, and if you haven't been here, I'll catch you up on the framework in a second because we focus on what and how, and, and maybe some of you had some aspirations in a certain career, in certain work, and, and you've ended up somewhere and Some of you are wondering if where you ended up is where God wants you to be, or if it's what God was leading you to, or what God has for you. And if you're not a Jesus follower, maybe you don't think about it in those terms, but you still wonder, you know, is this, is this what I was meant to do? Is this is where, is this where I was meant to be? And if you find yourself in a dead end career or a job you never dreamed or you're dissatisfied or unfulfilled or on the other side of that, you're wildly successful and you're doing really great and you're still wondering, there has to be more, right? Like there, there has to be more than this. As we conclude this series today, I want to talk about that tension as it relates to our work. Because here's one of the things I know. I know that, that all of us, these are, these are sort of the given. Most of us, you want to be successful. I mean, if, if you didn't want to be successful, you're, you're probably not showing up today. You're not here. You're not showing up to work. Um, and, and if, by the way, if you don't want to be successful, um, you could probably skip out on the rest of the talk. You probably don't need any of this. Um, but you, you want to be successful. And you don't only want to be successful. I know your, your desires are more than that. You want to feel fulfilled in what you're doing. You want to, you want it to be filling for you. You want it to, to mean something. You want it to be something that was sort of like, this is what I was meant to do. Now, when I think about people who were meant to do something, there's an image that comes to mind. You can see if you agree with me or not. I don't think there's a better illustration of somebody who was meant to do something than Michael Phelps. Let's just take his anatomy for a second. He's got an 80 inch wingspan. He's got a long torso like a seal. He's like part fish. He's got short legs. He's got this exceptional lung capacity. It was like he was destined to be an Olympian. Like he was destined to just be a juggernaut in the water. And here's the thing. You look at him and you go, oh my goodness. Like he was designed. He was created. Like when you watch him swim in the water, it seems effortless. You're like, this is what he was meant to do. I mean, he's got hands like paddles and feet like flippers and he just glides through the water. The problem is most of us on a day-to-day, we don't feel like we're gliding through life and work like that. Most of us feel more like this person, um, which I don't know if you know who this is, but um, this is just the first piece of encouragement for today. If you find yourself in a job that doesn't feel very purposeful or meaningful, there are people um, that are lifeguards at Olympic events. Speaking of, of people whose jobs are, are, are not really purposeful. Um, and I mean that, no offense, if, if, you're, if you're one of those people, I apologize, but I just never understood that. Here, here's what's interesting, though. Most of us wonder what it would feel like to be Michael Phelps. But if some of you know his story, if you were to talk to Michael Phelps, you know that Michael Phelps, when he was at the top of his sport, he didn't feel like the way we thought Michael Phelps should feel. He didn't feel fulfilled. In fact, after becoming the most successful, most decorated, most accomplished Olympian of all time, in his own words, Michael Phelps said that he felt lost. Imagine that. How is that possible? I mean, he he did it the right way too, right? I mean, when you think about how to accomplish what you should accomplish, it's like, hey, it requires hard work. 
If you're going to be successful and you're going to be fulfilled, I mean, you got to do hard work. And certainly he, he did a lot of hard work. He, he committed his life to excellence in the pool. He sacrificed significantly. Not only that, he, there were, there, I'm sure there were plenty of challenges along the way. And, and he persevered through those things, through, through difficulty and through challenges. And, 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 and yet still, on the other side of that, as successful as he was, it, it seemed like all of the hard work and the sacrifice and the persevering paid off. And yet he feels lost. I mean, you would think that would be fulfilling. But this is the point of our series. That's what happens when you focus on just the what and the, the how. Our question in this series is why. And interestingly enough, this is the question Michael Phelps was asking. It's, it's actually the linchpin, as we've said in previous weeks, between the what and how. And the truth is, is Michael Phelps came to a place where he's going, I mean, did any of this really matter? Does this matter? I've achieved immeasurable, at least for, for people who does, do what he does, immeasurable fame. It was certainly financially lucrative for him. He, he, he amassed a significant amount of wealth in the midst of this. And his power and influence, when he showed up, you know, anywhere, you know, everybody wants to hear from, everybody wants to know, everybody wants a piece of Michael Phelps. But for him, what, what did it matter? Was the momentary fame and fortune worth it? You see, for Michael Phelps, he was, he was longing for and wanting to discover something that I want to talk about today. He was trying to discover what is the purpose and the meaning of what I've poured my life into. What's the purpose and the meaning of my work? The ideology of this world leads us in this direction. And it's okay if, if this, is, this is a little bit challenging to you, but I just want us to be really honest. We're, we're in church, God is watching, so don't lie to yourself. Isn't it true? These are the drivers most of the time. And this is what we want, but we're told if we, if we, if we get that, we'll experience this. And if we get this, then we'll feel fulfilled. We'll feel successful. And this, this idea of purpose and meaning, believe it or not, is something that Jesus uh, was very interested in. As a matter of fact, if you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 5. Um, it's, Matthew is one of four accounts of Jesus' life. And Matthew chapter 5 begins what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one, by the way. Uh, you can go to the guest services team on, on the way out today, and you can pick up a Bible. It's for free. There's no cost. There's no, there's no um, strings attached. But I'd love for you to have a Bible. Matthew chapter 5 um, in this is, is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus began teaching his followers or people who were interested in being followers. And what's amazing about this is some of them were already following. Some of them weren't sure if they wanted to follow or not. And Jesus said, hey, listen, if you want to follow me, I have purpose for you. And I want to tell you the purpose and the meaning behind what I want you to do as followers and who I want you to be as followers of mine. He begins this way in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He's obviously using a metaphor. You're the salt of the earth. Now, most of you have heard this phrase before, salt of the earth. You didn't know that Jesus was the one who started this. People say it all the time. Oh yeah, the, he's the salt of the earth. Jesus, that started with Jesus. It was a positive thing. You're the salt of the earth. And, and it, it's like there, there's something about that. There's a preservative. There's a flavor that, that those people bring. That, that It's just good. But he says, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? 
The truth is, is it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot. It's worthless. If, if salt isn't salty anymore, this is to the point, it has no purpose. It has no meaning. It, it, it's insignificant. He, he goes on, he says, you're not only the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. So you're, you're salt and you're light. This is another, another example of, of purpose and meaning. And he says, neither do, neither do people... Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, meaning neither uh, do people uh, treat light in the same way salt that's lost in saltiness. Neither do people put light uh, under a lamp and put it under a bowl. Uh, Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. If a light isn't illuminating things and salt isn't salty, what purpose does that have? What significance does that have? And then Jesus, looking at his followers, he says, look, look, in the same way, in the same way, in the same way as salt and light, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And let me pause right here. Your, your translation may say good work or good works, which I actually is a better translation. I sort of like the New Living Translation. As some of you know, the, the Bible is translated from Hebrew and Greek into English, and there's several different translations and, and different um, linguistic things that... that, that translated differently, but this, this idea, go back really quick, it, where it says good deeds, that word actually means work. It, it's, it's, it's the, the word in the New Testament, um, ergon. And, and, and so what he's saying is good work. And this word ergon in the New Testament, uh, is an interesting word that Matthew chooses. And here's, here's why I bring this up. It's not because I want you to think I'm smart and I know a bunch of Greek. You can Google any of this like that. You can know all this stuff in the same way as me. This is what's interesting about this word ergon. It literally is the word in Greek for business and employment and occupation. See, I'd heard this most of the time in my life. It's like, oh, the sum total of your good works. Like you should, you, you should be the light of the world and, and do a bunch of good deeds in life and a bunch of good things. I don't think that's a great translation because the word there is actually about, this is what you put your hands to on a regular basis. I think this is more concerning like the work that you do in society and in life. Amongst the Hebrew people, um, obviously they, they, they didn't use Greek language. And the, the, the Hebrew equivalent to this Greek word is this word avadah, avadah right here. And avadah, this is, this is so interesting in the Hebrew culture. Um, it's translated work, but it can also be translated worship or service. This is something um, that, that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around. But this term was used by the Hebrew people to describe both agriculture and construction. Some of you, you remember Nehemiah who rebuilt the walls around Israel. So that, there's an Old Testament story about that. When they talked about that work, they used this word avadah. It, it, it was used um, in, in agriculture about plowing fields. That work uh, was used, they used this word avadah. It's also the word that was used for the work that the high priest of Israel would do in the temple. When once a year on Yom Kippur, he would go into the temple and he would make a sacrifice for all of the nation of Israel. This, is, this was part of the law. He would go and he'd make a sacrifice for the sins of the whole nation of Israel and, and ask God for his grace and his mercy. When he would go and do that work, the, the, the word that was used to describe that work was avadah. It's also the word, the word that was used for loving and serving your neighbor, the work that you do to do that. He says, look, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they'll see your good work, your avadah, your work. And, and here's what happened. They'll, they'll glorify your father in heaven. 
See, if you want to begin to understand God's will for your life, again, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you consider yourself a Jesus follower or not, if you want to begin to understand what God's will for your life is, God's will has to include good work. And here's why. That's what you were, you were designed for. You were designed to do good work. Now, this isn't just in one passage by Jesus. As I told you, this idea of work and good work, it's all throughout the scriptures. As a matter of fact, it starts in the very beginning in Genesis chapter one. Now, you don't need to turn there, but just, just really quick. Um, in the beginning, some of you remember God when he was in the creation story, when he's creating the world. He creates, excuse me, on day one and two and three and four and five, six. He, he works and works and works and works for six days. And at the end of each day, at the end of his creation, he calls his work good. Let's try that again. He calls his work It's okay to talk in church, by the way. I know Andy doesn't like it when you talk, but I'm okay if you talk. You can talk back to me. Um, unless you have an objection, just save that for the end. We'll, we'll deal with that at the end. But, but this is, this is what happened in the beginning. God's work, He declared it as good. This is what's, what's wild is then God places the man and the, and his, and his wife, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden and He gives them work to do, good work to do. And it's, it's creative work. It's, I want you to create, I want you to fill the earth. I want you to make babies. I want you to procreate. I, I, not only that, he gave them leadership work. I want you to subdue and rule, rule over all of the animals. I want you to give them names. I want you to create order in the world. And God gave them work. Sometimes we feel like work is, is the curse of the fall. It's like, because there's sin in the world, we have to work. That's not the case. The reason we work is because we were created in the image of God. And God was doing good work before we showed up. And you were creating his image. And part of your purpose and meaning, part of your design was to do good work or to do good works. And, and what happens is, is when you do good works, you point people towards God and you glorify God. You point people towards him. You reflect him. You, you cause other people to see the good work that you're doing and, and the, this, this pure work that when Jesus or when, when God, when God described his work as good, it was pure of evil. And Jesus is building on this idea saying, when you do good works, you point to your creator. You point to the one who designed you. Now the apostle Paul in the new Testament building on what Jesus taught. And again, we did this last week as well. I want you to see, this is not an idea that's just, just, just uh, isolated with Jesus or something that's some obscure passage in the Old Testament. It's Jesus, something Jesus reintroduced that was there in the beginning and the apostle Paul carried on in the, in the New Testament church as, as the new believers. And building on this idea, the apostle Paul talks about how we do this good work. In Colossians chapter three, you don't have to turn there. We're just gonna look at a couple of verses. He's instructing them on all sorts of different roles. He, he's, he, in Colossians chapter three, he's talking to husbands and wives. He's talking to bosses. He's talking to uh, parents. He's talking to slaves and masters. And then he takes all of these roles that, that were present in their culture at the time. He's talking to all these people and he gives them a very specific, all of them, one very specific thing to do when it comes to their role. And he says this, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, Now, it doesn't matter what specifically you're doing. You may like it, you may not like it. You may be doing it just to pay the bills. It may seem like a necessary evil to you, but regardless of what you do, whatever you're doing right now, 
even, probably even especially if, if you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, I would say, I just want you to consider thinking about doing this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Let me just ask you, I wonder what would happen if you did that. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing right now, what if you just made the commitment to yourself that whatever you were doing, you were gonna show up and you were gonna do it with all of your heart. Again, regardless of what the job is, some of you are going, oh, no, no, but hold on a second. You know how terrible my job is. You don't, you've obviously never met my boss. Like my boss is terrible. And if you, if you had met my boss, you'd be like, no, you shouldn't work with all of your heart for your boss. They're not worth it. Like they, they're, they're crooked. They're mean. They're, they're only out for themselves, whatever it is. And, and the funny thing is, is the apostle Paul doesn't give us any qualifiers. He says, oh, stop all that. Whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart. It's not about your boss. It's not about how you're being treated. It's not about the culture or the climate of your work. Work at it with all your heart. Look at this. As working for the Lord, not for human masters. You have a new master. You have a new boss. You've surrendered your life to a new authority. And the Lord is your ultimate authority in your life. He's the one that you're serving. So whatever you do, what if you were to do it as if you were working for the Lord? I, I just say this. I don't do this too often. I, I said that a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to do it again today. Just, I just want to press just a little bit further. This is for some of you today. Like the reality is, is some of you are thinking, you know, I, I, I just, I, I deserve a promotion. I, I, you sort of started coasting. You're, you're not giving your all all the time because you haven't been given back to. You haven't been promoted. You haven't been, you haven't been uh, given what you've earned or you're waiting for that next thing or somebody to pluck you out of what you're in the middle of to take you into something else and, and get a better job or get a better career or climb up the ladder. But my question for you is, is if the Lord's the one you're, you serve and, and he sees everything, if you were him who sees everything and you were watching you each day, would you promote you? Would you promote you based on the way you show up and what you give and how you serve each day if you're serving the Lord? You should do that. You should show up and serve every day. The Apostle Paul says, since, and here's why you should do it, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Even if you're not getting the reward from your boss or from your company, or you didn't get the promotion you want, you're working as unto the Lord and he has promised you an inheritance. He has promised to reward you for the work, the good work that you do. Now, see if you can follow this. This is sort of wordy, but this is how it works in my mind. I just wonder if we could truly get what we've been promised to get, I think we wouldn't be as focused on trying to get. If we truly could get and wrap our minds around what's been promised to us to receive, to get an inheritance, the way God's promised to reward us for good work, I don't think we'd be so focused on trying to get things and squeeze things out of this life. I think we'd be freed up to give and to serve. And then tying into this idea of the slave master idea, you have a new master. He says, after all, it is. The Lord Christ, you are serving. And I love that he, that, that he uses these two words for, for, for Jesus' name. It is the Lord, meaning you have a new master. 
who is Christ, who is also your savior. This is not about doing good work so you can be saved. It's not doing good work to be, to be, to be in favor with God. It's because you've surrendered to a new master who has more for you. He's created you for more. He's already rescued you and freed you from the things that would hold you back from living out the purpose he has for you. So when you do whatever it is that you do, do it with your whole heart. Show up and bring everything that you have. This is what I love about this phrase, this, this idea of, of with, your, with all of your heart or with your whole heart. In the Hebrew culture, this meant everything you have, everything inside of you. I'll just tell you, this is, this is how I believe that you discover God's will for your life is you show up and you bring your whole heart, you bring everything that you have. Now, I just need to say this real quick. This, the, the Bible, this, the scriptures, um, they, they represent the known will of God in our lives. Like they serve as guardrails. There's an unknown personal will that God has for every single one of you, which by the way, if you, you didn't have a Bible and you wanted a Bible today, this is the one you'd get that we have out at the, the, the guest services desk. But, but the, the, the principles and the precepts and the teaching that's in this serve as guardrails to God's unknown personal will in our lives. God has a known will that he's set out for us, but he has a personal known will for you. And I borrowed this from somebody else, but submitting, submitting to the known will of God, submitting to his word, it paves the way to discovering the unknown, the unknown will of God, the unknown personal will of God. And if you're at odds or you're outside of God's known will, it's really difficult. In fact, it's almost impossible to discover God's unknown, personal, specific will for your life. If you're not working and serving with your whole heart, with everything inside of you, if you're not working with everything inside of you, it, it's, it's gonna be really difficult to discern what the next step is in God's will for your life. So I wanna make this super practical and I wanna make this super easy for you because I want you to be able to discern the next step. I want you to know if I'm following God's will for my life, what does that look like? And, and I, I kind of got, got myself uh, run, run out of space here. But if you know what a Venn diagram is, it's just basically when, where things overlap. And I think there's four circles that represent four things in our lives that we've all been gifted with. You've all been gifted with. You've been gifted with a personality. Some of you like your personality. Some of you don't. You, you've been gifted with a personality, though. You, you have a unique personality. You've been gifted, gifted with certain passions and desires. You've been get, gifted with people in your life that have influenced you along the way in a network of relationships. And you don't, you don't like this one, but you've been gifted with a past as well. And you've been uniquely gifted, unique to anybody else in this room. And God has a specific, unique purpose for the way in which he's gifted you in life. At the center of this is how we discover God's purpose and design. You have a personality and passions. There's people involved in your life and your past. And, and these things, where they overlap, I believe God uses all of this uh, to lead us to this deep sense of significance and purpose and meaning in our lives. God uses everything. And if you, you find yourself wanting more, I'll just say this today. I just, if you, you, you want more purpose and meaning in your life, I, somebody may tell you to be content. I don't think that's the purpose of when we're told in the scriptures to be content. I don't want you to dumb down or, or lower your desires or shrink those down. 
I think, I think wanting more is consistent with something that God places in all of us, a greater sense of purpose and meaning. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, he's also a theologian and he's, he's wrote, written fiction and nonfiction work. And, and um, he, he, I love what he says. He says, it would seem, it would seem that the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. I love this because I think, I think this is the point here. When you work with your whole heart, when you show up with everything you got and you go, hey, this is my assignment. Whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm in the middle of today, this is my assignment and I'm gonna bring that and I'm gonna bring that and I'm gonna do good work because that's what I was created to do. I was created to do good work and that good work, I'm gonna experience God's purpose and meaning in my life. I'm gonna glorify God. And this is in the words of C.S. Lewis, what is a result of that is what we all really are after. We're all really pursuing in our lives. We're after this infinite joy of knowing I'm in the center of exactly what God wants me to do, where he wants me to be. Now, I don't know where you are and what season you're in, but I'll just tell you, when I go back to that first season of work for me, the ski season, remember that one? I'm pretty sure I was not at all in the center of God's will for my life, but he was, he was allowing me to experience certain things. And at a time that the ski resort uh, was something that I was chasing after, pursuing, escaping to, um, the reality is, is I began to see what was around me and, and it was hard to watch. It was sad. I was watching people who were trying to escape or compensate or medicate unfulfilled lives in the same way I was. Things that they hadn't gotten over or didn't know how to get over. It became difficult, not only to watch, but to be involved in and be around. But here's how God works is reeling from the loss of my dad and trying to compensate and find significance in the middle of all of that. Amazingly, that's where God began to forge a burden in me for people people who had lost their way, people who were trying to find the way, the right way, people who were hurting or confused. I'll just say this really quick. All of those experiences that I had and that you have in life, whether they experience, whether they're about loss or failure or success or confusion, I just want you to know, if you don't hear anything else today, I just want you to know all of those things in your life they have meaning. And here's why. Because God wastes nothing. He wastes nothing. He can use anything and everything to lead you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And where he wants you to be is the best place for you to be. It's the center of his will is the place where you're going to experience the infinite joy set out for you. And it might be something you, don't, you didn't choose. Three years ago, this month, um, I got a call uh, from the wife of a longtime volunteer at, at my previous church. And um, her name was Christine and her husband, Rick, had been serving over 10 years, faithful volunteer, walked through hard things with us uh, in the church there. And, and um, 
Rick had been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And she asked me if I'd come to the hospital. So I went and saw him at the hospital and they didn't know what the diagnosis was gonna be. But nine days after the diagnosis, uh, they had to intubate Rick because of the brain tumor and the pressure on his brain. And um, 40 days later, um, they informed Christine and her kids that Rick wasn't gonna wake up. And I remember her, um, after we had prayed and asked God to heal him, that wasn't God's answer. Remember her asking me if I would come uh, to the hospital. They got moved into a hospice room and could I come there and be with the family? Um, you know, before they said goodbye to Rick. And um, I, I feel guilty about saying this out loud, but just be totally honest with you, this is not something you look forward to. Like I knew this was gonna be a hard day. It probably would, you know, it'd be a challenging, mo- certainly for them, but it's gonna be a hard moment. And you wonder, what do you say? And what do you do? And so I drove there just asking God to like help me in this. And I walked into that room on Rick's 49th birthday. And it's all decorated, but there obviously wasn't a celebration going on there. And I looked across the room and I saw Christine. And I saw my mom. I had lived this story. I had been in this movie. And if it weren't for God's intervention and using and preparing me, I would have crumbled in that moment. But there was something in me that went, I was made for this. And unlike I am right now, I was in a puddle in the room. I just, I walked over to her and I gave her a big hug. And I said, thank you so much for inviting me. And I said, I greeted the kids. And then I walked over to Rick's bed and he's there. He's got the respirator on. He's, he doesn't look good. And I just said, Rick, we're going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. Christine invited me today and, and I just wanted to come and I wanted to say thank you for the way you've served our church. The way for 21 years you served in the military, you served our country. Thank you for the model you've been of a husband and of a father. You leave a tremendous legacy with an amazing family. We're gonna miss you, but I'm gonna see you real soon. I know this isn't goodbye. I know you're in a better place and I wanna pray but I'm not gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for your family. And as I was talking to Rick, I looked over at the family and they were just locked in like with this confidence of like, we're gonna be okay. I I was proof they were gonna be okay. My mom, our family, our story, I was just like, God placed me in this place. It's not something I would have chosen. But I prayed and I prayed for the family, not for Rick, that God would be with them and he would protect them and he would guide them and he would be near to them. And then I hugged Christine and the kids and I walked out, walked down the hallway and I thanked the amazing staff that were there that cared for my friend and their family. I got in the elevator. Fortunately, I had several floors to the bottom, but I became a puddle in the corner of the elevator. I sunk down. And it wasn't because I was sad. It was because in that moment, that doesn't sound like a great moment for you. It certainly wasn't for the Hillock family. In that moment, I knew I was exactly where God wanted me to to be, doing exactly what God wanted me to do. 
And I want that for you. Your heavenly father wants that for you. I experienced in that moment, infinite significance. I experienced the infinite joy that's possible for all of us when we find ourselves in the center of God's will for us. God's designed and gifted you. He's gifted you for good work, to do good work, to glorify him, to point other people toward him, but for your highest good, for infinite joy for you. Paul in another uh, scripture in Ephesians, in another letter, he said it this way, you are God's handiwork. He created you. He allowed you to experience things and you're his handiwork. You were created to do good works that God prepared in advance for you to do. My prayer is you would find and discover those good works that you were designed for. If you've ever wondered, why am I here? If you ever wondered, there's gotta be more. Here's what I'll tell you. There is. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing, Whatever you're engaged in, come on. Do it with your whole heart. May may you never allow the God-given fire inside of you for a deep sense of purpose and meaning to die out or to be snuffed out. May, May you always strive in all that you do, whatever it is that you do, to work with all of your heart as unto the Lord because he sees you and he will reward what you do, whether it's in public or in secret. And may you embrace your created purpose in this life and discover the, intimate, the infinite joy of being at the center of God's will for your life. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for somebody who's here today and they're wondering what's the purpose, what's the meaning. They feel lost Maybe it's because they've struggled and they've failed and they're trying to pull themselves back up again. Or maybe it's because they've succeeded wildly and they thought they would feel differently than they do. I pray that you'd rescue us all from the ideologies of this world that tell us that we can be fulfilled by amassing certain things or getting certain things or getting to the top of this mountain or this ladder or having this amount of assets or whatever that is. Rescue us from all of that. And rescue us into the infinite joy of knowing that we're at the center of where you want us to be, the center of your will for our lives. Give us the courage to wake up tomorrow and with everything in us, with our whole hearts, to engage right where you have us so that we can glorify you where we are and lead us to that infinite joy that you have for us. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.